All right, welcome back to the Emergency Goalies. A eventful week, I will say, for the Blackhawks leading into the holiday break. And we've got a ton of news to get to about the Blackhawks. But first, we'll go to a quick uh, recap of the four games this week that were very much a tale of different games, Jekyll and Hyde situation. But we'll go to Michael for a recap of these games. Yeah, we talk about it a lot, the Jekyll and Hyde nature of this team. And we talked about how big of a week it was going to be with four games in total, including three games and four nights against Central Division teams that the Blackhawks are chasing, and including two against perhaps the best team in the Western Conference in the Colorado Avalanche. And the first game, they... Played at home against the Lanch, and I actually felt like they played a fairly solid game. They ended up coming out on the losing end. It was 4-1, to one, and I, I can't say that, you know, that, that, they, that they deserve to win or they deserve to have it be that much closer of a game, but, you know, the Avalanche are just... A better team than the Blackhawks and in the end they they were managed to come out on top and you don't feel too bad about a loss like that despite the fact that you know the Hawks need to to make up some ground but the the talent level on the the Avalanche is just simply a little higher than the Blackhawks right now and the, their speed got to them a little bit Nathan McKinnon made a big impact in the game he also got a. They also got a goal out of Miko Rantanen, you know. So just their their top end players were playing really well in the game. But you know the the Blackhawks held their own. You didn't you didn't feel like it was a complete and utter blowout like some of the games we've seen. And so you didn't feel great. But heading into the game against Winnipeg the next night on the road. I can't say I felt great about about it coming out of that Colorado game, but the the Hawks came out and kind of traded chances with uh, the Jets in the first period. But I, I felt like the Hawks kind of came out on top. They I think their their chances were a little bit better, even though I think the Jets ended up with a few more in the first period. The second period, the Hawks struggled. Uh, but thanks to some great goaltending, which we've seen throughout the season, they were able to, to hold their one nothing lead. Alex Nylander had scored in the first period to kind of break out of a bit of a slump for him, his first goal, and uh, I think it was like 13 games or something like that. It had been a while. But he, he was able to come through on an assist from Patrick Kane and, Dil- and Dylan Strom. And that was part of a big, big night for Patrick Kane, because uh, after the the scoreless second period, in the third period, uh, Colleton kind of shook up the lines a little bit, moved Kane up to play with Taves and Kubalik, and it triggered a, a good third period for the Hawks. Kubalik scored on a, an assist from Kane. It was Kubalik's ninth, and then after the Jets pulled. Pulled within one. Uh, Kane assisted for a third time, this time on a goal by Eric Gustafson, a power play goal. 
It was the first in a while for Gustafson as well. And it was it was on a it came off of a good effort on the power play I felt, and it was just nice to see the Hawks get a, some shots through from the point, uh, something they've been struggling with quite a bit on the power play. But Gustafson managed to power it through, and you know extend their lead to three to one, and then uh, Kane managed to get uh, a goal to go along with his three assists. Alex Nylander was able to return the favor from earlier in the game, get an assist, and Adam Boquist. Uh, so it was nice to see uh, him pick up his second assist. He's still searching for his first goal, but just a, a good all-around effort. There was a, probably about a 10-minute let-up in the second period where the Jets just pretty much dominated, but one of the certainly a strong outing by the Hawks and one that they... You could you could come out of it saying they deserve to win against you know a team that's higher in the standings for them, and then after that it was the game we were all worried, about, or at least I was particularly worried about. Uh, the Hawks have kind of struggled in the 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 third game in four nights, and it was on the road in Colorado against a team. You know, like I said earlier, they're fast and they're way better than the Blackhawks, but. Hey, this was maybe the Blackhawks' best, I'm not going to say effort or complete game, because the Avalanche did build a 3-1 to lead, and there were points in this game where it looked like the Avalanche was just going to kind of overwhelm the Blackhawks again, just sort of like they did in the, the game a few days earlier, where you know their top-end skill would just kind of win out. But heading into the third period, down 3-1, to the Blackhawks just came out firing, and Patrick Kane scored his 20th. Kirby Dock scored his 6th. Dominique Kubelik scored his 10th. Connor Murphy added an empty netter at the end, and it was the first game the Blackhawks had won in the third period uh, when they entered the period being down. Just a you know a real big boost to a team. Yeah, they were, um, that, Owen, as you say, they were 0-14 before... Losing entering the third period, oh and fourteen. Right, right. So. You know, and for a team that was desperately hanging on to whatever playoff hopes they still had, to come away with a huge road win against a good Avalanche team, you felt like maybe, just maybe, the team was gonna maybe take get yeah. onto some kind of a role. I believe my um, run of some kind. Yeah, I believe my reaction was interesting. This was yeah, something you didn't expect yeah. to see. Yeah, and you, you, you did. Know, the, yeah, I was gonna add because you did think like, well, you know what? This was a big win. They won. They beat Winnipeg. Then this comeback win. Now you've got the Devils ahead. If they can handle that, you're going into the break on a high note. And of course, this year that's always dangerous statement to make. Yeah, never assume the Hawks are gonna maintain a high level of play. I think is the lesson that keeps getting beaten into us over and over. Despite you know any stretch of play where you think, oh maybe, and and I hate to feel like I got fooled a little bit, but um, Duncan Keith had come out earlier, uh, like I think it was like Monday or Tuesday, something like that, or it might have been even the previous week. I can't remember, but he had publicly called out the Hawks effort a little bit and Duncan Keith is a guy that has been around for a long time 
and has never been a vocal leader, at least not one to speak through the media. So when he made statements like that, it was seemed very out of character, and it seemed like maybe it was the kind of thing that could potentially spark the Hawks, you know. For, for somebody like that to kind of speak out was an unusual situation, and since that had happened, despite the one loss against Colorado, they had won three, three of their last four games, beating three different Central Division opponents. But despite that nice little run they were on, to come back home in the final game before the break, and they just were awful. It was poor effort. It was breakdowns in defensive zone coverage. It was just everything. It was just an avalanche of everything that you know has been wrong with the Blackhawks at times. And and it came despite the fact that they had jumped out to a, a one nothing lead uh, pretty early in the game. And, you know, they were coming off those wins, get off to an early lead, and you're thinking, oh, you know, and, and they were playing pretty well in the first. And I, I wanted to the, add, too, that the Devils, what did they commit? Four or five penalties in the first period? They just gave mm-hmm. the Blackhawks power play after power play. And the Blackhawks power play was a disaster in this game. And that maybe should have been a sign because the black or the the power play had been performing pretty well in the previous week or two. Uh, you, again, you kind of felt like maybe they were kind of getting over the hump, and some of those skill players were going to kind of find it again. But in this period, the power play was a momentum builder for the Devils, and they were able to score a goal late in the first period. It was Jack Hughes who tied it up, but then. The, the second period came, and it was just, it was a completely different game from that point on. The Devils just absolutely dominated, and the Blackhawks just, they had no answers at either end of the ice, and it was, it was brutal. I, I really don't have any other way of describing it. They they really, really struggled. They finished 0 for 7 on the power play. They gave up uh, a shorthanded goal on top of that, and it was it, it ended up being 7 to 1. Both goalies struggled in the game, and they were getting no help from anybody in front of them. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't I know about say, you, but I honestly think this was the worst game that they've played. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I, it was just and just after the game before. Like, the drop-off was so, you know, and I have to say... It was I, jarring. Yes, I have to say a thing. The one thing that kind of sums it up, which is, I think, if anyone's listened to this podcast the past, the year before, you'd heard us talk about uh, John Hayden, who was, you know, a fourth-line guy who was not very good. He probably shouldn't have been in the NHL. And at one point in this game, he was left wide open in front of the net and drove right in and fired a goal... A shot right into the net, right past them. Um, was it Crawford that was playing at that point? I think it was Crawford. I don't even remember. Yeah. But he went down and just blew a, a shot past. And there was no one within, I don't know, five, six, ten feet of John Hayden. He was left wide open. Went down and ripped in a goal. And I was like, really? This is If this wasn't a sign that this game was just done, I don't know what is. Yeah, so just a very disheartening way to to end the week and go into the break and to have to stew on that. 
And sort of like with Duncan Keith, I did see the other day Jonathan Taves, again, publicly speaking about how big of of an embarrassment the game was and how at certain times in the game it seemed... It seemed like nobody on the ice was on the same page, that all five guys were playing a different, you know, playing to their own kind of drummer. And just, you know, they, they, they couldn't play. They weren't finding ways to play together. And that, again, Taves has kind of been more of a quiet leader, very rarely calls out his team in public. And so, you know, now you got the, you know, the, the, the two longest tenured guys, well, at least with Seabrook on on the shelf, um, you know, kind of the, the the two guys that have you know worn the C and worn the A for the longest on a team, and two guys that generally keep a lot of it in house, and now they've in the last couple of weeks they've both called out the team, and he just you, you hope it something comes of it, even if you know the season is far as playoff contention is over at this point, you at least would hope to see the, the the squad come together a little bit and perform more consistently to their talent level, whatever that talent level is when you factor in the injuries and whatever trades are upcoming. You know, the at this point, I, I don't expect the Blackhawks to win uh, you know, a, a great many games heading down the stretch, given how thin the roster is at this point. But at no point should they be uh, giving performances, especially at home, against a team as bad as the Devils, like they just did. That 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 just should not happen. Well, you know, it's just one of those things where you want to put. I don't know if you put a finer point on it, or how many times can you say? Something's embarrassing in a year before this is just what you are. I mean, we've had how many different players, Taves, Keith, and before that, Robin Leonard, all these people. But eventually the theme is, you know, if you have to say this after 10 games, then maybe this is just what you are. But the, the thing is, is that it's not what they should be. It, they are better than this. They should... You know, occasionally you're going to have a blowout loss. Occasionally things are going to break down. But just the nature of playing well against good teams at times and then in other games where you just you give no effort and play with no responsibility in the defensive zone. Yeah, it's one of those things, just, too, that I was, I was going to say. Like, it's one thing if you lose. If they lost this game 4-3... to three, or you know, went to overtime and they lost. You'd be, you might be kind of, you know, man, that's a team you should win. But you should never, ever, ever lose to this version of the Devils by six goals. Yeah, Cause they, I mean, there were two periods in this game where the Blackhawks were completely non-competitive. The first period was fine. You know, they ended up coming out of it one to one. And the power play had been terrible. The, the Devils were giving the Blackhawks a chance to win this game. And it, the Blackhawks just weren't able to, to to come through early on. And then after that, it, 
I don't I I don't want to say that they gave up, but they I don't even know what to say. They just they didn't play with the intensity that you need to compete at the NHL level. I I don't know what else to say. They they weren't trying hard enough on forecheck, backcheck, leaving guys leaving their man open in the defensive zone, not playing with their head on a swivel, not keeping track of guys, just playing very loose and not it it just almost looks like they weren't concentrating and that you, you just really 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 hate to see that well the people that were like they were so open that these guys were so mm-hmm. just like standing alone with the puck and there's nobody within 10 feet and you're just like really it's like yeah. it it's not like these are like but, but and if that know, happens once or twice in a game, hey, that's that's going to happen on occasion. But it was five, ten, maybe even a dozen times in this game where there was just nobody paying attention to what was right in front of them. Yeah, because honestly, if them. it wasn't for the for the goalies, this game might have been like twelve or there it would have been like the eighties with the number because these guys were wide open that were getting these chances. Yeah, and I mean, it wasn't the goalies' best games either. Neither one of them were were in top form, but the way that the goalies have played this year, you know, you're not going to put any amount of blame for them on this. You're going to have occasional bad games out of your goalies. That's just the way it goes. But I don't know. Just I, I was just so disappointed in the effort in that game. It was, it really was embarrassing for. A team that has talent, that has a lot of veteran players who know what it takes to win. That, by the way, frankly, and to, should, to see them not do it. Yeah, that frankly should be better this year than they were last year. Honestly, yeah, they should. And be. They absolutely should be. And 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 I do know that the the injuries are starting to take their toll a little bit, but it it should not be this bad. Uh, I was fully prepared for this team to, to not make the playoffs. I, I I thought there was maybe a 50-50 chance that they could sneak in as like the eighth seed or something like that heading into this year. But no, I mean, they just, they're not playing up to their talent level. And their talent level didn't give them much room for, you know, bad breaks or you know, a, a lack of consistency and both of those things are starting to pile up and there's a real possibility that the second half of this season gets very ugly. Well, you know, I guess we should probably move on to the flurry of news we got today. Um, yeah. uh, first, we'll give you the expected, which uh, Calvin DeHaan needs another shoulder surgery, which, like we were talking about, that he's going to get second opinion. You kind of figured that was what was going to yeah. happen. So, so I don't think, he's out for the year. Yeah, we don't have much to add on that. And uh, Brendan Saad, who I, we didn't talk about, you know, was playing so well, uh, mm-hmm. twisted his ankle. Was that against – did he sprain it? I can't remember if it was the first Avalanche game or the Jets game. I want to say it was the first Avalanche game. Yeah, I think it was. But Yeah. And he'll be out for about three weeks, so. 
And you know, right. which is which is kind of the estimate that they had originally given. So again, that wasn't much of a shock. Okay. And then, of course, though, we get to the absolutely, like I I think I would say stunning news, that Brent Seabrook requires not one, not two, but three surgeries, that mm-hmm. he'd apparently been putting off, I guess, through playing through pain this whole season. But according to the athletic article I read, but. Um, he's going to be out for the year, possibly part of next year, but he needs a shoulder, shoulder surgery on his right shoulder, and surgery on both hips, which he will get over the course of the next three months. And I guess I'll just ask you, is this kind of, am I, should we be shocked by this? I mean, it seems to come out of nowhere. I, I think there had been enough rumblings over the last week or so that we knew something was coming there were there were different rumors and a couple of of the beat guys had come out and said you know expect some big news on seabrook in the near future and the near future arrived uh, this morning uh oh and I, we did fail to mention uh andrew shaw also is going to remain on long-term injury reserve for quite a while as he is still suffering effects from his concussion, which and is it, certainly concerning yeah. given that he's a guy that's suffered multiple concussions and has suffered from post-concussion syndrome for extended periods. When, I was going to say, too, with, the, the same athletic article said, don't expect him back anytime soon, which is yeah, always I think there's Yeah, I think there's a very good possibility that Shaw... Although they they haven't ruled him out for the season, I I, I think we're kind of in uh, Corey Crawford circa two years ago territory where it it's probably in everybody's best interest to just say, hey, take the time off, you know, let's give this as much time as possible, and then we can maybe reevaluate next training camp. But getting back to Seabrook, uh, I certainly expected that we would get the announcement of a surgery or something. Uh, I, there was really no other possibility that I could see after they announced that, you know, he had been healthy scratched, but then the very, ne- the very next day he showed up on the injury report, which is, you know, a, a fairly unusual situation. And I just think it was one of those scenarios where, you know, maybe they sat down with them and said, you know, we're at the point where we kind of want to look at some of the young defensemen this year. Your playing time might be a little sporadic at this point. So maybe it's, this is an opportunity for us to maybe look at getting some of these things that you've been trying to to play through cleaned up and... You know, sort of like I mentioned with Andrew Shaw, where it's like, let's get all this stuff worked on right now, take the rest of the year off, and then we can, you know, reevaluate. Maybe if you can, you know, he's not the first guy that's had, you know, issues with his hips uh, in the game of hockey. It's it's rough on those particular joints. And uh, I want to say David Krejci... Uh, the center for the Bruins is a guy that's had both had surgery on both hips, and it ended up 
extending his career a little bit. And he's he's back to being a productive player. So you, you, you do kind of hold out hope that, you know, Seabrook is a guy that mobility has become an issue for him. And I always assumed it was more his back, but it could be that his back bothered him because his hips were bothering him. As, as somebody myself who injured his hip pretty badly in high school and has sort of lived with the consequences of that, I can certainly understand the way that hip injuries... Uh, can cause issues in other parts of your body. And so I, I, I do hold out a little bit of hope. I know the a lot of people are going to be quick to, oh, this is going to be the cover for them uh, being able to, you know, basically just long-term injury. Yeah, the name him Hosta was thrown regardless. around. To, the name Hosta was thrown around a fair amount today, so. Right, right, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think we all know the cynical view of this, but Seabrook's got a long time left on his contract. He is a guy that has continually come out and said that he wants to play, and it's not like with Hosa where the contract was so front-loaded and the final few years of Hosa's deal were... There was little motivation for him to continue playing through his issues... Uh, because there just there really wasn't any money <laughs> to, to make it worth his while, honestly. So I, I understand a little bit of the criticism from opposing team fans with the way that went down, even though there's certainly very valid reasons for why Hosa hung up his skates. But in the case of Seabrook, he's owed a lot of money, um, and he, he wants to play. And from all indications that I've seen... You know, his teammates want him to continue playing, and he wants to continue playing. And so I know the first thing everybody's going to jump to is, oh, you know, Seabrook's never going to play again, and this is just, you know, the cover that they're going to be able to use. But I honestly think he's going to be trying again next year. Now, whether or not he's ready for training camp next year depends greatly on exactly what type of surgeries he is having. Uh, There are some hip surgeries and stuff that only take, you know, a couple of months, three months maybe to, to heal. Well, you know, the maybe. thing they were saying in the, in this article I read, it was, um, I believe Mark Lazarus, but I'm not sure, one of the athletic writers, but he was talking about the hip surgeries they don't know yet. They're going to, it's almost oh. like an exploratory, once they go in, right. they're going to know how bad the damage is. And it could be like a few months, but... If there's significant damage, it could be a year, and then you get... So you don't know, like, I don't know, I'm not a doctor, but that was the way they were kind of wording it. Yeah, and so, you know, it's one thing to, you know, to have that kind of surgery, but then on top of that, to have the shoulder surgery. So, you know, you're rehabbing from the shoulder surgery, and you kind of hope when you while you're rehabbing from shoulder surgery, you can still kind of do lower body workouts and keep yourself in shape, but... He's having shoulder surgery, and then, you know, a month later or two months later, he has the first of two hip surgeries in a row. You know, it's going to be very difficult for him to maintain the type of workout regimen required to kind of keep up, you know, at at the highest level. And so it just seems to me like it'd be the sort of thing where, yeah. I'd be looking, I would be expecting kind of like you said, maybe that year long time frame where 
he'll probably open next season expected to be on the IR and then they just kind of hope at some point he can kind of work his way in and maybe it's the sort of thing um, where he can do a a conditioning stint in the minors uh, while they kind of try him out to to see where he's at physically and that buys you a little bit of time but I I, I fully expect Seabrook to at least attempt to come back from this I I really don't think this is the final word from him on it and even if it does end up being to the point where he's no longer able to play, it's not like this is a cure-all for the Blackhawks' uh, cap issues. Uh, he's still going to have to be on long-term injury, which, while it does allow you to use his cap space, it comes with other restrictions. It's it's not an ideal situation. And they are still going to have to pay him. Uh-huh. Yeah, there's a reason that the um, Blackhawks did trade Hosa's remainder contract to the Coyotes. Because right. there are still some penalties with... Right, I mean, there was, there, was, there was still three years left on that deal. And getting rid of those three years allows them more flexibility in the offseason and during the season to not have that on the books. But the only reason they were able to deal those final years of that contract was the minimum amount of money that was actually still owed to Hosa. His cap hit was like five and five point four or something like that. But the actual money owed to him was only one million dollars per year. But that they is also not had the case to, with Seabrook. They also had to include Hennestroza though, so And Osterley. Yeah, so which you know, you could you know, use Osterley it, right now. They could use both of them right now. Um, so it, it, this isn't going to be a situation like Hosa where they can get rid of this contract. They are stuck with it. There's no way that you could convince anybody to take on his deal and keep it on long-term injury reserve. Yeah, the only one I could think of, the only scenario I could think of this would be if he was healthy, but this is an outlandish scenario and I don't think it's going to happen. But what do you think about Seattle expansion team. Would they be I, willing to grab that deal? It's a huge deal, though. No, I, I, there, there's absolutely no way that I could see them taking on that deal. I, I don't see anybody taking on the deal. The only way it could possibly be moved is just a, a swap of another similar bad contract. I, I think the one scenario that kind of played out in a similar situation was the David Clarkson deal with Columbus and they ended up dealing him to Toronto for in exchange for a different bad contract and I, I'm, I'm drawing a blank as to who it was but the, the crux around why that worked was Clarkson's contract was not covered by insurance because I, I believe he had a pre-existing injury or something like that. Okay. That that ended up playing a role. So Columbus wanted to get rid of that deal because they were basically going to have to cover all of the costs, and they were and what they were able to do was trade that deal to Toronto, where Toronto would be able to cover that cost, and Toronto was able to send them uh, a player. Um, 
whose deal was covered by insurance because he was actually still able to play, but it was a similarly bad contract. But I don't know that that scenario is ever really going to play out for the Hawks because I would assume Seabrook's contract is covered. And I just, he's he's going to be on the books. And Mm -hmm. there's no way he's going to actually retire and walk away from all that money. Mm -hmm. And this isn't a short term, we got to get rid of one year and $4 million of Brian Bickle or three years and $3 million of Marion Hosa. To convince anybody to take the, I believe it's $20.5 million, $20. million or something like that remaining on Brent Seabrook's contract would require multiple first-round picks, multiple or multiple players of Taro Taravainen's level in order to get mm-hmm. rid of that. And it's just, it's not feasible. So Yeah. If you're not going to trade Kirby Doc or Adam Boquist to... And I don't even know if Adam Bolquist would work. It'd probably have to be Kirby Dot. And I, yeah, yeah, it's not worth it. Yeah, and I honestly don't know that even if you included Kirby Dot, that anybody would just take that contract straight up. I still think you'd have to take other bad deals back in return, and it's just not going to be worth it. It's better to just deal with the long-term injury consequences. Um, they wouldn't be the first team to, you know, to to have to live under those restrictions. Mm-hmm. Like I had mentioned, Toronto. Uh, had done it for quite some time and they were still able to put out a competitive team eventually and you know that's just kind of what you got to hope for with the Hawks is you know we're obviously going to be rebuilding retooling a little bit here whatever you want to call it over the next couple of years and you just hope that if they're ready to turn around in in a year or two Seabrook that contract's still going to be on the books but you know, you just hope that they can they can live with those restrictions and and figure out a way to to make it work. Yep, even if he has to play in the minors, I guess it just they're gonna have to deal with it. Well, playing in the minors would actually be worse for the Hawks because you can only bury a million dollars of it. The, the, he would actually the the rest of his deal would still count. Oh, against the cap, um, they real. I mean, what. What is benef- most beneficial for the Blackhawks is if he cannot play and is willing to basically just pseudo-retire, collect his money, but stay on the books. Yeah, get a situation like uh, Chris Pronger, who was mm-hmm. an executive while he was still under contract. Right. Or or Hosa. I mean, same, same situation. Mm-hmm. You know, retired, but the paperwork not officially uh-huh, put in. Yeah, and obviously you're hoping for Seabrook's case that he can be healthy and stuff, but at this point it's an open question anyway. I mean, it may not be likely, and I know it's something that a lot of Blackhawks fans are just fed up with and they they don't want to deal with it anymore, but I will remain slightly hopeful that, you know, these especially the hip surgeries can maybe correct something that's been bothering him perhaps he regains a bit of mobility and he's able to come back and at least be a third pairing defenseman yeah yeah at least improve on what he's what he has been the last couple of years but you know the odds of that are unlikely i realize that very unlikely perhaps even but 
Seabrook has done an awful lot for this team, for the fans, and his contract is not his fault. <laughs> no. So and I am, you, yeah, just, I've never been one to get on him for that. And, no, you, you, t- you take what they offer. I mean, if they're offering right. that, take it. Yeah, exactly. But so yeah, I'm just, not going to be mad at Brent Seabrook to, regardless of what he wants to do, whether he wants to play or not. Yes, I will just close on this note before we get to the preview. It's They don't win the Stanley Cups if he's not one of their top three defensemen. Him, Yalmerson, and Keith, they don't have those three. They don't win nope. any of their Stanley Cups. So it just sucks that this is how it ended, but unfortunately yep. that's how it works in sports. Indeed. All right, so now we'll go to a little preview. There's only three games for the Blackhawks this week. And finally, no back-to-backs. How about that? About time, I guess. Um... They begin after their four-day break. They begin Friday, which will be when we'll put this podcast out, at home against the Islanders, who were red hot to start the year, but I think they've cooled a little bit of late. I haven't really checked up on the Islanders much lately, but they're definitely better than the Blackhawks, and I think they're still in the playoff position. That game is at 7.30 Central Time. Then they get a day off, and... Sunday at 4 p.m. Central Time, an early start. They uh, take on the Columbus Blue Jackets at 4 p.m., and it's in Columbus. Columbus is not very good. They've lost a lot of their players from the recent years, although they are in a bit of a hot streak, I think. Yeah, I mean, they're not a terrible team, and the Islanders are still playing pretty good hockey. Um, I think they've fallen off a little bit, but they are still very solidly in playoff position. And they are still a very solid. Uh, they just play a well struck. Barry Trotz is a good coach, and he's got them. You know, it, it, his system seems to work regardless of where he goes. His teams never seem to perform poorly, and they play a pretty solid defensive game. But yeah, Columbus is a little short-handed. They're they're definitely, in a lot of ways, they're kind of similar to the Hawks, where. They were kind of rebuilding this year, hopefully kind of rebuilding on the fly sort of thing, but you know they they haven't been quite as good as they had hoped, and yeah, it looks like the playoffs are kind of unlikely for them at this point. And then finally, the weekends on New Year's Eve in Calgary against the Flames at 8 p.m. Central Time, and again, the Flames have been not as good as last year, but they're still a better team than the Blackhawks, and the Blackhawks starting have to pick always, it up a little. Yeah, and the Blackhawks have historically not played very good in Calgary, so I don't feel great about that game either. I'm not sure I feel great about any game at at this point. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna have to agree with you on that. So I'm, yeah. I'm really scared the second half is gonna start uh, that it could start getting ugly. Yes, I guess you know with this team they've always. Every time you think they're going to be good, they tank. And every time you think they're finished, they go on a little streak. So who knows? But it, the odds are looking... I mean, they're starting to shut people down now. It's Yeah, but, I mean, when you've got... I think they've got like $20 million on long-term injury re- reserve right now. Yeah. I mean, uh, between Seabrook and DeHaan and Shaw, those that you know, that's three guys making 
I think at least $4 million with Seabrook going at 6.875 or whatever it is. And then Drake Kajul is still on there as well with his uh, concussion issues. Although I, I think he's probably a little closer to returning. Um, I want to say he's practiced a little bit on and off here recently. So maybe he's going to be coming back soon. But yeah, between with, with the Hawks not being very deep to begin with, and then you start losing you know, a few guys that they were counting on. And it's, I, I, I would think it's pretty possible that in the relatively near future, they start looking at dealing guys like Gustafson and perhaps one of the goalies and, you know, somebody else. And then also having Brandon Saad out, I totally forgot about that. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. they've got a, a third of their salary cap is not available right now. Well, you know, yeah. the players that are just, they're just not there and they, they can't overcome that. No, it's not going to look good. But uh, we still got a couple more months of the season. So uh, we'll try to entertain you on here, even if the games aren't that good. But, mm-hmm. you know, maybe, maybe we'll bring on some guests and stuff and and talk about the minor leagues and stuff. We'll find stuff to talk about. But as always, you know, we're going to be here no matter what. So, um, um, STH85 on Twitter, Michael. MJ underscore Ernst. Yep, and we'll be back next week, and I don't know what's going to happen, but we're going to be here to tell you what it was. Yep. So thank you for listening.